Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Wednesday, November 29th of 2017. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer, and coming up on today's show, we'll speak with the American Legion about veteran homelessness and what the Legion is doing to try and address that issue. Look, we know it's a nationwide problem with an estimated 40,000 veterans being homeless as we head into the winter months of 2017. Mark Walker of the Legion will be here to let us know about the programs and processes that organization has in place to help our homeless veterans. Later, we'll speak with our own Jonathan Kopanger about some of his recent stories that have been shining a light on some little-known programs over at the Department of Veterans Affairs. All of that and more on today's edition of The Morning Briefing. And we kick it off now by welping, welp, welpoming, welpoming, welpoming into the studio our own producer, Jay Hughes. I guess I took the first letter of producer and threw that in there. I don't know. It's Wednesday. I am but a whelp. I know. A whelp. What is a whelp? That sounds. Like I think a it's word. a it's a small puppy. Or yeah, something like yeah, that? small something. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Well, today is uh, an important day in the history of the world, Jake. Oh, really? What happens? November twenty ninth, nineteen seventy nine. I came into this world screaming and crying. Like oh a little. God! <laughs> How? What's the damage this year? Uh, I am not forty yet. You're not forty. So that's how <laughs> there I'm you go. At it. I'm 38, I guess. Yeah, so 79 to 2017. It, it's it's been fairly easy after the year 2000, where it's like basically, you know, I turned what did I turn 21? It's always just one year less than what I am. Yeah. See, I'm lucky. I was born in 85, so I get integers of five. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. For me, it's like subtract one. So add whatever to 20 after the year 2000 and subtract one. And that's that's what I am, essentially. Or add one, I should say. Yeah, add one. I'm not very good at math. We've talked about this before. Uh, and my birthday will now forever be known as the uh, the day that Matt Loward was giving <laughs> the old heave-ho from the Today Show yeah. uh, in some breaking news. That's the latest not, victim. Not necessarily veteran or military related matt lauer uh apparently from what i'm seeing on social media uh has been accused in a detailed complaint from a co-worker that uh of of some inappropriate workplace conduct i guess you would say and uh has been removed from his duties as host of the today show and fired by nbc that is uh, the latest that we're hearing, uh, let's see, David Ingram uh, has has put that one out there as well as uh, some other people. So Ingram, he's a guy who worked for MSNBC, uh, Fox News, WMYC, Time. He's, uh, you know, this is someone who's currently working at MSNBC. So he's certainly in the loop as far as M- uh, NBC is concerned. And the first thing I thought of when I heard this news, again, Matt Lauer, Fired by NBC after uh, a complaint from a co-worker of inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace, according to David Ingram. 
When I was stationed in Iceland, they were doing the thing on the Today Show called Where in the World is Matt Lauer? Do you remember that? I think so. It was it was like one of their big things. It was he would travel for like a month and each day he would be in a different place. And for the final one that year, I can't remember if it was the first or second year that they did it. It would have been the year 2000, I think. I mean, it probably would have been. I was there for uh, some of 99, all of 2000, some of 2001. It was in the summer. It would have had to have been in the year 2000. And you could vote for like where his final destination would be. The base basically put together this whole thing <laughs> and voted and had the whole base vote, which was a pretty big base, I guess, for overseas. Not not that big, like medium-sized, 2,000 sailors and their families, uh, about 1,000 airmen and none of their families, uh, well, mostly not with their families, and had all their family members back home vote and everything. And Matt Lauer came to Naval Air Station Keflavik, Iceland in the summer of 2000 for Where in the World is Matt Lauer and did uh, you know broadcast from the base, went to the Blue Lagoon, which was one of the big tourist spots in between Keflavik and Reykjavik. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I met him briefly when he was there. Uh, he... You know, he was just just a guy that was there doing a job. They had a big crew that was there. Uh, he was pleasant enough to all of us, uh, but it would appear that something at his workplace did not happen. Or uh, just uh, that, well, what what, what did yeah. I just say that his workplace did not happen? Well, his workplace did not happen today. Uh, he has been accused of inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace. <laughs> it did not happen. It's his all work these didn't happen. It's today. all these big name people that are getting like you know the last one I heard that really hit me was John Lasseter from Pixar. Really? Yeah, he's been oh. like he's he's been accused of some doing some naughty stuff. And, I, I haven't which, heard what, of that which one. yeah, it's, which really weirded me out because you always think Pixar is just this big happy family friendly place and apparently he was doing some not so family friendly stuff yeah well we we uh are big pixar fans in the house and john lasseter uh has always you know again the the way that people present themselves in public not always the way that they are in their private life or even in their work life or uh, you know their their public personas and the other ones um that are out there and we're seeing a lot of that come to light listen with me you, you get what you get yeah. I, I am who i am same thing with jake you don't have to worry about that and you know seeing all these uh the the sexual assault and uh and sexual harassment trains i it just shocks me because i like this is not something that i would ever think would be appropriate to do I don't touch anybody that I work with. I don't like to That's touch people. I touched the back of your ear when we were sitting downstairs at the. Uh, yeah, and that, and that bothered me. That that made me made me do one of them full body shivers. Like, you turn, you're like what was that? And turn around. <laughs> it's just one of those one of those funny things that you do. Because well, it's just something that you know. It's com- it's nothing have to do with you know gender differences or anything. Like that. It's common human decency. You don't touch people unless they want to be touched. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely it. And if it's and then if it's sexual in nature, that makes it uh worse. Yeah. Significantly. And a lot of this seems to be a lot of that stuff. I don't know, man. Just stop touching people at work. I don't know where this came from. And people talk about it. No, it, it may be cultural for, for some people, a workplace culture for some people. I, I've never been in a workplace where that was encouraged or accepted. And I've been in quite a few workplaces. I mean, I just I don't get how some people can foster that sort of environment, but it, it's clear that it's out there with some people, uh, some people in very powerful positions. Uh, the latest one just announced this morning, uh, you know, as of yesterday, Matt Lauer was host of the Today Show. Today, he is not the host of the Today <laughs> Show. So 
Yeah, and the reasons, again, as being reported by David Ingram of MSNBC, uh, that Matt Lauer has been fired by NBC News after a detailed complaint from a colleague about inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace. Um, that was just a statement made on Twitter like 20 minutes ago by David Ingram. So this is fresh news. Uh, you would think they knew about it yesterday, unless this person made this complaint at like 4 in the morning today, which is possible because they start work very early at the Today Show. I know some people who work on that show, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's boy, it's an interesting time that we're living in where some of the uh, some people who have this public persona of being good guys and good people are being shown to not be so much that. Mm, There's that whole thing about power corrupting or anything like that, that people yeah. think they can get away with things because of their position. Power is. corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And, and when it comes to the Today Show, Matt Lauer has been in a position of extreme power for an extremely long time. Although their ratings had slipped in uh, recent years, so some of that power started slipping away from him. He started seeing some cracks in the facade of the way that he presented himself. There was a recent uh, kerfluffle, I guess you could say, over him uh, throwing one Megyn Kelly under the bus. Uh, just in a, a media outlook thing, again, we have no involvement with that company in any way whatsoever. Uh, I didn't think she was the right choice for that kind of show. She's more of a hard news interviewer uh, type and can do newscasting. It's kind of the opposite of what happened with Katie Couric. You remember when they moved Katie Couric from the Fluff Morning Show to being the anchor of the CBS Evening News? Yeah. It didn't go well, and I didn't think it would go well because I was like, she's not a hard news person, and that's not how anyone knows her. It'll be very hard. Same thing has kind of happened with Megyn Kelly just in reverse. And, uh, you know, when you're one of the leaders of the company, one of the public faces of the company, uh, when you when you uh, talk about someone who's having that kind of difficulty, you're supposed to be a team player and, you know, like give them support. Matt Lauer didn't do that. And then now, well, I guess it doesn't matter because he nope. no longer works there anymore. All right. Taking a look around the <clears throat> more veteran and military focused news. The shooting down in Texas at that church, horrifying oh, event, uh, made all the more horrifying when we learned that the Air Force had basically given him a dishonorable discharge. He had done time in prison. Um, this was a, a bad person, a, a broken person, at least, um, if not you know, totally bad. If you have mental health issues, uh, you know, he certainly had criminal issues, child abuse, uh, spousal abuse, uh, did time in prison before being kicked out of the Air Force. And it turned out that that information that he was essentially a felon was not given to the civilians. And we thought, you know, if this happened with one guy, there's a pretty good chance that it's happened in other cases. We talked about it right here on this very show about a month ago. Well, the Air Force has put out a report saying that they've found dozens of similar crime reporting lapses. So Man. that's the kind of stuff that allowed this guy, um, the Sutherland Springs, Texas church shooter, to buy guns despite a domestic violence conviction. Uh, we know that he targeted that church uh, because his... Ex's family attended that church. Um, yeah, I, I, he was convicted 2012 of beating his then wife and stepson, jailed for a year, kicked out of the Air Force. That conviction should have barred him from ever buying guns again, but it didn't because it wasn't properly reported to the FBI's National, National Crime Prevention Center database, that whole thing where they basically, uh, you know, keep track of who's who's what and who's a problem. Uh, never got through there. Now we know there are dozens more cases of this. Um, it, it's it's scary is it's what it upsetting. is. Upsetting, and that is the second smallest of the armed services. What are the chances that there have been similar cases in the Army, which is much larger than the Air Force? The Navy is much larger than the Air Force. The Marine Corps is the smallest, but. 
you know, there, I would say that they, the smaller you are, the less likely making mistakes like that is. When you get to a bigger organization, it's more likely that you're going to have that kind of clerical error. So have we seen similar things in the Navy and the Army? I don't know, but I bet you they're looking into it right now, and they're trying oh, yeah. to fix that if they find it before they have a big issue like the Air Force had. I mean, this is it's, – it's horrifying that people who – you know, I, when you think about that, when you think about some of the, uh, the, the horrible crimes that people have committed while in uniform, just essentially a clerical error or laziness or whatever it is, not having them properly classified as a felon in the outside world, it's terrifying. It is terrifying yeah. that that could happen out there. Because these people can get away, can, well, not get away with, they can do things that you're not supposed to be able to do, like buy I firearms. Agree. Yeah, and when people, you know, like there was a thing in the, uh, the recent... Uh, November elections uh, that just took place a couple weeks ago where in some states there were there was legislation passed allowing felons to vote in state elections. No, that's that's I was not happy about that. And they talk about, well, these people are reformed. You know what? When you make a felony crime, that's a level of crime where we have decided as a society, you don't get to decide which direction society moves in again and changing that for political purposes. That was something that did not sit right with. me. No, and that's a federal law, isn't it? That's in the Constitution, um, isn't it? Felons can't vote. I don't think it's in the Constitution, no. Uh, I, 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 it's def- I'm pretty certain it's not in the Constitution. We'll have, to, we'll have to look that up, but they definitely, you know, in some, some regions, some states that uh, parties, and you know what, if we're, if we're going to point it out, it's been the Democratic Party who wanted felons to be able to vote. Apparently, felons mostly vote Democratic is the reasoning for that, uh, and they've gotten that in some places, only in local elections. They can't vote in a presidential election or anything like that or a national election, but uh, still, that's upsetting to me, and this is another example of it where it's like, I, you know, it's great that you turned your life around, but there are still things that you have forfeited, uh, you have rights that you have forfeited, yeah. because your rights are essentially all a privilege. You have human rights, the right to breathe, the right to live. I guess, Life, liberty, some... pursuit of happiness, yeah, but all we that. Even, we even take that away sometimes. We have the death penalty, and, and for me, I'm okay with the death penalty because it's used in the most heinous of crimes. Nah, I'm not, but that's another argument. Hey, you know what? We can go. I can, I can list off certain crimes and be like, should the people who committed this crime be allowed to live? There's one in my home state of Connecticut where one of uh, the most anti-death penalty people that I know, actually, it was like, well, in that case, I actually might be okay with it. Well, yeah, there are a yarn. But anyway, I, there are certain things that you get taken away when you commit a felony, but if that felony is not reported by the military to the civilian authorities, what what do you say? There's al- yeah, yeah, there's always been this disconnect between the civilian and military life, and when things like this happen, it just shines a spotlight, and it's wonders that why these groups can't talk to each other better. We have this whole huge bureaucratic system, which I guess answers my question, mm-hmm. but it's the fact that we have all these complicated systems that are designed to talk, and if they're not working, then what's the problem? Yeah. Uh, well, and you know what? It's it's something that we're dealing with at the VA, and we're going to talk to our own Jonathan Copanger about uh, some recent stories he's been working on related to the VA, where look at the medical issues. I mean, why was it so difficult? Why did I need to spend an hour over a copy machine copying my medical and dental records? Why weren't they able to just be electronically sent over? Yeah. This was 2011. I didn't get out in 1979. That was the year I was born. 2011 we're talking 32 years after that when everything is digital and electronic in the in the uh, uh in the civilian world for the most part although i was surprised my doctor my my civilian doctor up in long island they did not use email really they used 
they were like, well, what's the fax number? And and I looked at them and I was like, fax number? What? Who faxes? Hold on. Let me go get my time machine and go back yeah. to when I had one. To They would not, they didn't do anything via email. So there are still places that don't use it. But in the military, everything was done by email at that point. In the VA, everything was done by email at that point. Yet it, I still had to spend an hour over a copy machine making a, a record, a copy of my medical and dental records, which they proceeded to lose within the next six months before I... Uh, Naturally. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the way that it goes. So... You know, I worked in recruiting, Jake, for three years in Navy recruiting as a public affairs officer. And part of my job was making sure that the stations and at recruiting events, we had what we called RADs, recruiter assistant devices. Do you know what a recruiter assistant device is? Nope. Little freebies that you give away. Look, a little footballs, a ball cap if you want to go really crazy. Well, in Army recruiting, oh boy, there's a story that's just come out. I'm I'm terrified. Yeah. So in army recruiting, the Associated Press has has the scoop on this that this lieutenant colonel named Frederick Burnett, Madison, Alabama, lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserves, he's been sentenced by a federal judge to four years in prison and to forfeit four point four million dollars for fraudulently supplying hundreds of thousands of Chinese-produced baseball caps and backpacks to the Army Recruiting Command and trying to pass them off as American-made. Mm-hmm. You see, because under contracts with the Army that he signed, it said he must supply promotional items for the Recruiting Command that were 100% U.S.-made. Federal jury convicted Burnett in April on three counts of wire fraud for using his Huntsville-based company, Lamar International Incorporated, in the scheme to defraud the Defense Department on three contracts worth $6.2 million between 2005 and 2009. So, obviously, he signed a contract saying, hey, these need to be American-made. Here's the other question. Why are we allowing our military officers to have contracts with the military? You want to talk about a conflict of interest? You've got a lieutenant colonel signing a $6.2 million contract to provide hats to the... Rec- no, no, <laughs> there are outside companies that can do that. This guy lowballed, and you know why he lowballed? Because he was able to get the things at a fraction of that cost from China, you know, scratch off the little label. I, <laughs> I, I do wonder how exactly he did that. Do you think he just like took a Sharpie and tried to... Change- Went by and removed every little tag by himself. Where it said made in China, he just yeah. like crossed out China and then wrote... <laughs> USA above in crayon like that. Yeah. <laughs> crayon or blacked it out in a Sharpie and then uh, used white out to write USA <laughs> on top of it. I don't know, but uh, he'll be get to, he'll be getting some time to think about exactly what he did again at four years in prison, $4.4 million uh, to be uh, forfeited by him after this $6.2 million contract. I just have an issue with a Lieutenant Colonel in the reserves having a con like that. How yeah, did that, he get that contract? I mean, I, I I would guess that if I were to talk to someone who uh, was in the legal department over at Army who handles these kind of contracts, they would say, well, there there are you know safeguards in place to make sure that he didn't have any inappropriate influence. But the fact that he is in the Army, I mean, that's, that's inappropriate influence at face value. You can't say that he didn't have any unless it was a blind bid and no one knew who it was. That's the only way. No, there, there to had to have to been anybody. rules in place. There has to be like a loophole that where I'm you can do it. I'm sure there are rules in place where you can do it, but I'm saying those rules need to be changed because yeah, I'm yeah. sure this isn't the only case of this. And even if it is, well, you know what? That one case, that's enough for you to say, hey, let's stop doing that. Uh, so yeah, four years for that Army Reserve officer uh, doing it. Now, uh, Sailor was found dead on board the USS John C. Stennis. 
CVN 74, 22-year-old, found dead on the carrier this weekend uh, while the ship was up in Bremerton, Washington, which is one of our big uh, Navy bases, really the second largest Navy base on the West Coast after San Diego. Uh, the U.S. Navy identified the sailor as Akiri Pointer, who was an engineman fireman recruit from Arlington, Texas. So uh, for those who are not in the Navy, engineman fire recruit, that means fireman recruit. So he was an engineman. That was his job, uh, an EN and they were, uh, you know, they, they work on engines, essentially. They, they work in engineering. I, I would assume you an would engineer think, works yeah. on engines. Uh, fireman recruit is E1. So this is like fresh out of boot camp or uh, had been in some trouble, obviously. E1, you're only an E1 for like six months, nine months, something like that after you get out of boot camp. Um, so they say that there's no obvious and apparent cause of death. Command is investigating. Um, yeah, the only thing they have on uh, Fireman Recruit Pointer's background uh, is that they attended Navy basic training at the Naval Recruit Training Center, Great Lakes, and they came to the aircraft carrier. So first command, and, you know, that's that's horrible to see. And it's one of those things where uh, it could be a medical issue. It could be anything, you know? I mean, yeah, we, had, we just, we can't know at this point. Yeah. I mean, we, we, had, uh, we had a sailor found dead on my, the first of two ships I was on. Uh, the USS Saipan, it was an overdose. He had shot up heroin while on board the oh ship my and died. Yeah. Oh, man, that ship, <laughs> it was uh, nicknamed by uh, some of us on the crew as Satan's flagship. Um, <laughs> it was an unpleasant place. I've mentioned before that the uh, Petty Officer Third Class who worked for me in my public affairs shop, uh, he died while I was there. My chief while I was there is now in prison for the rest of his life for attempted murder. We had uh, a sailor killed on payday while trying to take money out of an ATM. He was murdered at a convenience store right near the, the shipyard where we were in Portsmouth while on the phone with his pregnant girlfriend. Oh my gosh. Oh, I mean the, the horrifying stories from my time on that ship. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, those are the big ones, but if I sit down and think about it, man, I can tell you some horror stories from my time on board. The old USS Saipan LHA two Satan's flagship. Yeah. Not a fun place. So, this is, uh, you know, it's a horrible story, and uh, the fact that the name has been removed, or, or removed, man, my my brain is just not working today. So I'm getting old, man, 38 yep. today, so there you go. Um, it's a sad story anytime a sailor uh, or any member of our military passes away and that the name has been released, you know that now this young uh, fireman recruits family knows. Yeah. And that's one of those things. You know, after talking with a, a Gold Star mother yesterday, it, it doesn't really matter uh, being a parent now, I understand this more than I think I did back then. Whether your uh, child is is gives their life in combat, whether they're serving on board a ship, I mean, you know, when you send your child off to serve in the military, you you hope that they come back. There's a very good chance that they will come back, but the job itself and other uh, factors of it, and we don't know what factors are in this case. Uh, there's a chance that they might not make it back, and and it is. Uh, it was good to talk to Debbie Lee yesterday and see that there are organizations out there that are founded by and run by people who've been through that situation and know how to provide support and know what those families will be looking for. Um, so, you know, our thoughts go out to uh, fireman recruit pointer of the USS John C. Stennis, just a, um, just a, a, a horrible story that you never want to read. Uh, here's here's something a little bit more positive. So Army Times is reporting that the Army is bringing drill sergeants back to AIT. Thank God. How long were they gone? 
They, uh, as I understand it, it was, I think, about 10 years. Really? Because I remember that. I remember being in the Defense Information School, Fort Meade, Maryland. It was a joint forces school where I went to learn my trade. Uh, you know, A school, as we call it, AIT, as it's called in the Army. I don't know what the Marine Corps calls it. The Air Force calls it, like, you know, summer camp part yeah. two or whatever. Um, you know, that's <laughs> where they also go for their uh, advanced golf training. So I remember the drill sergeants being there at Fort Meade and marching them around and us being like, well, thank God we don't have to do with that. In fact, the students that were in my class for like basic journalism, they were essentially still in boot camp until like the last two weeks of class. And that was a, I don't know, three, four month course or something like mm. that. So it was like an extension of boot camp, essentially. And I'm glad they're bringing them back because from, from when I when I reclassed to become a journalist, and I went to Dimfos Defense <laughs> Information School at Fort Meade, Maryland. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just saying, I uh, I saw the level of discipline going on yeah. with the the new recruits, yeah. and it was it was poor, it was horrible because they had AIT, what's called AIT platoon sergeants, were basically E sevens watching over them, and we used to call the E sevens there. When I got on the trail, we called them sidewalk drills. Mm. Basically, it was people that failed at a drill sergeant school but still wanted to get that position, so they went to become a AIT platoon sergeant, uh. so they could act like drill sergeants, but they weren't, <laughs> and. Uh, but yeah, and then they, they let the privates run rampant, and it's like these guys are still so early in their career. They still need that discipline. They still need that guidance. And so yeah. why we weren't giving it to them, I never understood. Well, in the Navy, we didn't have the greatest discipline when it came to like you know getting to class. We got there on time, but we got there in our own special uh, ways, often hungover. <laughs> But uh, you know, it 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 was. We were always thankful that we weren't in that situation where we had to be marched and do inspections every day. Of course, my class was so bad that they actually brought some of that stuff to our Dimfos uh, classmates that followed. You're listening to the morning briefing, Wednesday, November 29th, 2017. Back after this with the American Legion. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing for Wednesday, November 29th, 2017. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And today, just like every day, the ConnectingVets.com team is working extremely hard to produce content of value and benefit to the veteran community. Go check out ConnectingVets.com and you will see stories on a variety of topics that could either help or benefit you or a veteran that you know. We did an interview yesterday with a Gold Star mother. That story is going to be going up later today. And if you follow us on social media, you will be able to follow everything that goes up on our site because we post about it. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And of course, when you're talking about the veteran experience, you also need to talk about the VA because really, who's doing more with veterans issues than the VA? It's their entire job. Jonathan Copanger's 
well, not his entire job, but a part of his job <laughs> is taking note of what's happening over at the VA and looking around for some of their lesser known programs seems to be a little hobby of his. And he's found some interesting stuff lately. Jonathan, first off, welcome to the show. We haven't had you on in quite a while. I know, even though I've been sitting on the other side of the glass, I've been yeah. looking in your fishbowl, your yeah. radio fishbowl. Yeah. Well, you used to be on here almost every day before we made some changes to the show. Basically, the listeners uh, reacted and said, that's way too much co-banger, so we need to... <laughs> That's of course the fact that I get to sleep in an hour makes me very, very happy. So no, I think it was more that it was it's too much Eric and Jake. So they said we need more copanger to sort go. of balance it out. Yeah. So now we we've got you back in here, but it's like the, cowbell yeah. copanger. I got a I got fever. A fever. <laughs> the only, and the prescription is more copanger. Um, one of the recent stories that you had that has gotten uh, some traction out there. In fact, I think the VA posted about it yeah. retweeted or posted about your articles they're like because it's almost like the article reminded them like oh, oh yeah we do this <laughs> and that's about incarcerated veterans and how the va actually gives some help to them so what's this program all about well there, there's um two kind of three programs that that i touched on in, in my article um they it's really just a way to stop the cycle of of being you know going back to jail so they're, they're they have two different well uh, two real programs and then kind of a 0.5, so 2.5 programs. Um, one is called the um, Healthcare for Reentry Veterans, and the other one is called Veteran Justice Outreach. And we'll talk about Veteran Justice Outreach first. Um, what they do is this is um, kind of before the veteran is in jail and while they're in jail. They um, do outreach while they're in there. They um, make sure that they're getting all the medical attention they need. They do uh, mental health evaluations, things like that to make right. sure. And this is all voluntary. It's not like they're forced to do this. But um, it's all things that will make sure that you, if you're incarcerated as a veteran, that you're getting what you need. And then when you get out, when you you, you pay your dues and you get out – you're not going to go back into that cycle and, and yeah. do something to go right back in. And you want to make sure with that, I mean, recidivism in the in the criminal community, unfortunately, that rate is pretty high. People who commit crimes and go to jail for it tend to go back to jail for it. I mean, there yeah. are, the number of, uh, of one-time-only offenders that go to jail is actually relatively small. The majority are repeat offenders. Watch any show about prison and jail, and you'll see, you know, right. you know, uh, Jonathan has been in prison off and on since his 16th birthday and blah, 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 yeah. know, that kind of thing. And you want to keep that Wouldn't from surprise happening. me. Yeah, with veterans. <laughs> yeah. I was the innocent one. My brother was the one that was in that jail. <laughs> he I framed learned, you. He I said, learned from his mistakes. <laughs> so Veterans Justice Outreach, that's that's an interesting program that they have there. The Healthcare for Reentry Veterans, is that what it sounds like? It's actually a, a medical program? It, it is, but it's more than that. It's really, really cool. Um, and it, it, it it has the the obvious part of it where it's, you know, if you're gonna if you're getting out, the VA is gonna be right there to make sure that you get everything you need. One of the interesting things about this is people who have used this program, they have um they're they're more likely to seek help once they get out. Uh the uh number I'm trying to find my numbers here. Um and I can't. The number that people use, oh, it's ninety two percent looked for mental health support and seventy two percent look to get substance abuse support from the VA once they right. get out. And also with this um, healthcare for reentry vet, there is a part of, their, of that page um, where it, it splits every state out and then it has a PDF of what to expect when you're getting ready to get out of jail in those states. It, it, it's, it gives you things like, you, and you really should download this thing and take it with you because it, it even tells you where to go once you get out to help find you jobs, um, anything like that. So it's really a very interesting resource, which I had no idea the VA had. Yeah. Um, and it, it, if you go there, it splits everything out. The article that I have is called Incarcerated Veterans and the VA Getting Help Before and After Jail. Um, and you go to connectingvets.com, click on that. I've got the links in there. 
Um, if you know somebody who is incarcerated, a vet who's incarcerated, go to this page and it's halfway down the page and you'll see it each has each state listed and it's a yeah. PDF and you open it up and I just looked at California cause I'm, I mean, that's where my brother went to jail at first. So really kind of interesting to <laughs> see right? Originally, <laughs> the first time his original deployment <laughs> kind of worked his way yeah. across. Um, but it was really interesting to see, okay, this is what you do. This is, you need to bring this when you go to your, your hearings, your parole board hearings, this is what you need to expect. It really spells everything out. I had no idea that the VA did this and I worked there. It's really cool. It is. And there's also a program that you mentioned in the story because it's not easy to necessarily find who yeah. ha- who is a veteran and who has a military service record. We talked about that uh, just in our last segment with the American Legion identifying the segments of the homeless population that are veterans. It's difficult because one, they might not tell you. Two, if they have severe mental health issues, they might not even remember yeah. or know. I mean, there's delusion that comes along with that. But when it comes to prison, there's actually a way that jails and prisons can report people who have veteran status. And and another thing, and I didn't get into this in the article because it's a whole separate thing. Jails, prisons are coming up now with veteran wings where they want the veterans to be in a wing to themselves, an area to themselves. So they're finding out if you have a veteran in prison, <clears throat> excuse me, is very important. And in the article, I think I talked about California, how California thought they had um, a certain number, like 2.7% of their inmate population were veterans. Come to find out it was more than that. It was 7.7%. So even the California jail system didn't know how many veterans they had until this program kicked in. Right. And that's the Veterans Reentry Search Services, which you can find at vrss.va.gov. If you happen to work at a prison or at a jail, I mean, that's who this is for. It's not for the prisoner themselves. Right. I mean, I don't know how much internet access you have in prison anyway. I, I don't want to find out. Thank you yeah. much. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's that that would be why, you know, I think it's always been one of the choice jobs in prison based on the films I've seen, like the Shawshank Redemption and stuff <laughs> like that, is the library because it gives you access to information while yeah. you're in there. And, uh, you know, it, it gives you that. I would imagine if they have Internet access, that's where it would be. Um, but, yeah, the jails and prisons can now identify, kind of self-identify their veterans. California thought that 2.7% of their prison population were veterans. Turned out it was 7.7%. Yeah. So that's a 5% increase. Yeah. Three times as many veterans as they thought they had. Um, you know, and it's, 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 I think it's important that we give them, uh, the help that they need. Now, here is a question for you, John, okay. and you may or may not know the answer. This is uh, this is like a game show this morning. Some programs through the VA mm-hmm. depend on the disposition of your discharge, right? Is this one of those? Because if we're worried about the disposition of discharge for someone who then went on to commit a crime, yeah. It seems to be a little bit of the uh, the old double jeopardy almost to me there, but there are certain VA benefits that you cannot get if you have a prison record. Um, mm. So there are certain things like that, but this is really this doesn't touch on any of those. This is just to make sure, really, it's mental health things like that. Anything that's going to affect your your life once you get out of prison that's going to maybe help it so that you won't go back. Yeah. That's exactly what this is. It's it's not anything like you're not going to get the GI bill, you're not going to get anything like that, but you're going if you need mental health treatment, you're going to get mental health treatment. So yeah. so let me ask a quick question. Maybe you said this and I just didn't hear it because I ignore you sometimes because you're boring. <laughs> I, I mean, no, uh, not, not, it's totally not one of them. Anyway, uh, but this program, does it also do things to help them prepare themselves for life on the outside? Like as far yeah. as like, like, like things like uh, learning, uh, trying to learn skills so they can get a job outside. It, it, it like helps that. them. Mm. It doesn't help. It doesn't um, do that for them, but it, it gives them the opportunity of, of this is where you need to go to do this. Oh, so it spells okay. everything out. 
But and again, the VA can't offer legal help. That's something that's, that's very important about this. The VA does not offer legal help to veterans that are incarcerated. But it will open up their book and say, "This is what you need to do when you get out," and has everything step by step for for them. So yeah, okay. and, and and since it does, that's a big thing. Now and and you know it's. This is going to be for people who are going to re-enter the community. Actually, this is interesting that we already mentioned it on the show today when I was talking about my time on board uh, a ship that was, again, the crew referred to it as Satan's flagship. It it earned that moniker while I was there. I mean, a person who worked for me died, and my chief of of my shop is in prison now for the rest of his life. Mm. He committed that crime after he got out, so I suppose he would be eligible for this, but I believe he has life Life without parole, or if he gets paroled, he's going to be like 90 when he gets out or something like that. Um, this is really more for the people, it sounds to me, looking at it, the people who are going to be in there for, for a shorter period of time, maybe. Um, yes know. and no. It's for everybody. And it's really the VA just wants to identify who's, which veterans are incarcerated, make sure that they're getting the, the help that they need so that they won't stay in jail. Yeah. It's, it's really just that simple, even though it's not once you get into it. But the overall idea is just that simple. What can we do to make sure any incarcerated veteran gets out and will stay out? Now, when you say make sure they get the health care that they need, does that mean that if it comes to light that they need a service that the prison doesn't provide, they can help them get that service? It depends on the service. Um, I believe mental health is is something that is offered to all veterans. Depending, not It doesn't matter what kind of status they have. Mm. If, if they need some mental help, then they're going to get it from the VA. The VA will just make sure that they get it. Um, post-traumatic stress, things like that, affect things that that the civilian world isn't as good at dealing as the VA is because the VA just has more experience doing things like that. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you know, post-traumatic stress often leads to other issues. So if they can take care of that, then you're stopping the cycle. It's wonderful. I wish... My brother was a veteran, and I wished that there had been something like this for him. Oh, it would have been great. That many times in my life, I wish my brother yeah. had half the half the the opportunities that I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this vet, veterans justice outreach program is it deals a lot with mental health, which yeah. you find. You know, thankfully, I've not been to prison or jail that I'm willing to divulge <laughs> at this point. At least not in this country. Right. Um, the the issue that you see when watching. I find the TV shows like Lock Up and shows like that about prisons and jails fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and just watched one recently that was set on Long Island where I lived uh, up until very recently. And you find a lot of mental health issues. I mean, I'm not going to say everybody that you mm-hmm. see on there has mental health issues, but a good 99.9% of them yeah. seem to where it's just like whether it's uh, learned behavior that you're just not going to unlearn people who go from zero to violent in the, the blink of an eye because of anything like, mm-hmm. hey, you looked at me wrong. I'm going to stab you in the face. OK, that's not a good reaction. I would say that's a mental health issue. Yeah. But, you know, when it comes to uh, mental health that is treatable, things that we can work on, that's a big part of what this program is about. Absolutely. It's that helping yeah. people who you know, most people who end up in prison, unless you uh or some master criminal who's decided that is going to be your career path. It's probably right. just going to be you had a bad reaction to something. Uh, you did something horrifying. You got angry. You have anger control issues. And they're out there to help with this. And what's interesting is if you go to the story on our site, it's connectingvets.com, you can see it's on the front page, incarcerated veterans in the VA getting help before and after jail. If you go to the Veterans Justice Outreach page, which is linked in the story, mm-hmm. There are a list of the people that you can talk to, specialists in this program, email addresses for all of them. I mean, I'm looking at, let's pick 
Uh, what state? You're a California yeah. guy originally, Jonathan, right? I'm seeing Fresno. You've got Susan Basmagian and Brenda Bloom. Loma Linda, you've got a list of people there. Long Beach, Julie Tom. I mean, this is it gives you the actual names and email addresses Absolutely. of the contacts. Every, every uh, medical center has somebody there that's part of this program. Yeah. So you can walk into a medical center and say, I need to talk to somebody. I've got my brother's in jail. He's a veteran. I need to talk to somebody, get him help. And they will be able to find somebody there to help you with this. So yes, they do list it on this, but uh, you could always just go to your medical center and ask. Yeah, you absolutely can. Because as you said, you look through, if there's a VA medical center, there's a person there who does this, at least one person. I mean, I'm looking at my home state of Connecticut. You have three people, Jessica, Varsha, and Alicia are all there yeah. working on this program. And there are a lot of people in prison in this country. There are a lot of people in jail in this country. And if in California the ratio is 7.7% veteran, uh, you know, it's probably going to be similar in other yeah. states as far as uh, as related to the percentage of veterans that are actually in the state. Um, you know, it's, it's something that uh, it's really fascinating and it's interesting to find these programs that people don't know about. I mean, as you said, you yeah. worked for the VA <laughs> and you were like, what is this? We do what for people? I know it, it, it just, it really kind of threw me. I, I'm working on another one today where the VA it's an initiative that the VA is uh, to deal with um, opiate um, overdosing. Mm. So there's all these really cool things that the VA is doing where, you know, we always hear about the bad stuff and yes, there is bad stuff that happens, but when you really dig into it, there's so many really good little programs that if the VA weren't here would not be around and again, this doesn't affect a lot of people. I think there was less than 80,000 people um, got help with one of these programs. And I think with the with the other one, and I can't remember which one is which, um, it was just a little over 100,000 people. So we're looking at less than 200,000 people since the inception of these programs that have been helped through these programs. But these are people who are their veterans. And our country said, we're going to take care of veterans. Mm. And it doesn't matter if, if you've done something wrong. Maybe you did something wrong because of the post-traumatic stress that you, that you dealt with it while you're at war. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that a lot of people forget about. Yeah. This is war. These people who are being helped at the VA have dealt with war. Yep. So them, yeah. things are different. Yeah. And you got to take care of them. This is different than it was, you know, 20 years ago when I came in, when we weren't in a state of war that we would, we would enter into. You could argue that actually while I was at boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois, and the bombings of the Cobar Towers and the embassy uh, in, uh, was it Kenya? Mm -hmm. I think the U.S. embassy, uh, the embassy bombings in Africa, um, Cobar Towers, I think was actually before that, that that was kind of the beginning of everything. Certainly yeah. September 11th is the benchmark that most people use for the beginning of the war on terror. Prior to that, I mean, it was yeah, Gulf War One, which didn't last for all that long, um, and and then Croatia, Somalia. There were things. Yeah, when I joined, I don't think there was a we war. I, think yeah. I joined in '87, so I don't think we were at war. No, no. Although you probably would have been in during the invasion of Panama, wasn't that like '89? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So I mean, there there are there were little conflicts that we were involved in mm -hmm. more often as a part of NATO or the UN yeah. than anything else. And then it, as of 2001, it's been a constant state of war where. Okay, the majority of people do not end up, well, in the Navy, the majority of people do not end up ever going to Iraq or Afghanistan. They mm -hmm. might be uh, conducting operations and support on a ship or anything like that. In the Army, it's a higher percentage of people that go yeah. over there. The Marine Corps, okay, the Marine Corps, most of them are going over there mm -hmm. and seeing something. But it's a, it's a different era. This, this is more like you know, what we saw in the post-World War II era as far as what veterans are requiring in yeah. regards to their care. And of course, now we know a lot more about yeah. what they need. And it's important that the VA is able to provide those services. <laughs> of course, one of the big VA stories that's going on now is the privatization of it. And uh, 
yeah. some some backdoor runs as some people see it and as we talked to hill vets yesterday about uh including just like a, a front door run where there is a congressman who's produced legislation to basically allow veterans to choose to go and see a private doctor if they want to mm-hmm. on the government's time so that's not even the uh <laughs> the shady way of doing it as some people are describing this congressman is like yeah i'm just going to be very out front and say like i think they should be able to go yeah. to, to the civilians but civilian doctors uh and, and healthcare mental health care professionals in particular don't necessarily know how to deal with uh not like the VA does. Don't have the experience, nope. at least. I mean, not not to say that the VA is always perfect. I'm sure there are some mental health professionals in the VA who are probably subpar, but the experience that the VA has in dealing with those issues, you would think, would be yeah, eh, I, as high as anybody's. I mean, maybe I'm unique here, but I have had a very good experience with the VA as far as since I've gotten out and I've used them for various mental health things. I've had a very positive experience with them. They've never let me down. Mm-hmm. So I I. You know, I believe in the VA. You know, put that on a little button, put it on my shirt. I believe in the VA. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there are people who do and people who don't. It comes down to individual experiences, comes down to expectations, whether those expectations are met. A lot of interesting stuff over at the VA, and we're glad that we have someone like Jonathan Copanger who knows quite a bit about the VA process and uses that to inform how he reports on some of the things taking place over there. Again, you can visit ConnectingVets.com and find his stories on that website every day. Follow us on social media as well. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Here's a question I want to pose to the two of you. All right. Mm-hmm. You're both art connoisseurs, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, you you, you, you enjoy <laughs> art, don't you, Jake? There's some art that I know you like, like video games. I would consider yeah. an art form. And there's other things like you, you've seen paintings, I'm sure, that you enjoyed and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you ever think about who makes those paintings? Does that matter to you? Who yes. Who creates the art? Yes. Yes. Sometimes it depends. If we're talking like music, then yeah, it matters to me. But as far as like a picture of art, I mean, it, unless it really affects me, it doesn't really come into my mind. Hmm. Well, here is a story that uh, is the reason that I'm asking for that. An art display, an exhibit at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York. This was uh, just a couple days ago. It was going on. I don't know if it still is. Featured artwork by detainees at the Guantanamo Bay detention camp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? <sighs> okay, so I, I read a little bit about this. This, I guess, some people were upset because the detainees were doing this artwork, and then all of a sudden, the government took it all and said it wasn't yours anymore. Um, well, if you do something in prison, essentially, it's not yours. Okay, you know? yeah. So yeah. I, I get that, but I don't understand. Or in the military, right? Let's remember that. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand what the problem is on this because are they like using it to make fun of people? I mean, I don't understand. I mean, let's just, let's go ahead and look and see. Okay, these people are probably bored. They, they did some art. Let's kind of look at their art and see where they are mentally. Maybe we could kind of get a better, you know, view into their heads by looking through what they produce with art. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's not making them, here's here's where I think I stand on this. Uh, it's not making them any money. They're, they don't own these mm-hmm. art products. This is being exhibited there. Um, the detainees apparently often gave the artwork to their attorneys as gifts for, you know, thanking them for mm. working for them or whatever. I think the issue that some people have with it is I I know there are a lot of people who don't like uh, Guantanamo Bay, the prison there, the fact that people have been kept there indefinitely. 
something you need to remember is that the vast majority of people who've been there, there have been a couple cases where people weren't the worst of the worst. The vast majority are the worst of mm-hmm. the worst. People who actively participated in uh, the plotting and killing of American servicemen, civilians in their own countries. I mean, these are not good people. And it kind of falls along the same lines as uh, what John Wayne Gacy's clown paintings. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean? the, the, whole con- yeah, the whole concept of murderabilia, which is like people collecting things yeah. from serial killers and things and, like and that. And some of these guys are... Yeah, it's kind of creepy. ...are worse <laughs> than serial killers. Some of these guys are uh, just, just, just horrifyingly uh, involved in the killing of mass murder of civilians uh, and members of Al-Qaeda, ISIS. I mean, we're not talking about... And it gets lost in the discussion on Guantanamo Bay and some people's questions about the legality of it. We're not talking about nice people here. Yeah. They're, they're not generally nice people there, um, including we've got one of Osama bin Laden's bodyguards, Mawath al-Awli. His art is included in that. And Ahmed Rabani, who is accused of working with the senior leadership of al-Qaeda. I mean, these are not good people. These are some of the people behind September 11th had uh, open knowledge of it. Um, one of the issues that they're having is that this is taking place in New York city, John Jay college of criminal justice, New York city and family members of people killed in the September 11th attacks are like, Oh, you're putting forth the art of the people who murdered my son. Like, uh, Alexander Santora says that about his, he's a graduate of John Jay. His son, Christopher was a 23 year old firefighter who died in the attacks in 2001. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things I can understand where those families are coming from. Yeah. You would, uh, I didn't think about that I mean, yeah. as soon as you said it, it was like, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. well I wouldn't want to see that. Yeah. I, well, I honestly think that here, let me put it like this. I am, I've, I've said before, I'm a man of faith. But I also listen to bands that have very anti-religious music sometimes. Mm-hmm. But to me, the end product doesn't necessarily have to represent, have to mean what it meant to the artist, what it means to you. Right. So I think that if if the art is a piece of good art, you should be able to enjoy it removed from the beliefs and the person Absolutely. that made it. It's the whole death of the author thing. But then there's the there's just I mean there's a level of tackiness. Where this like and case in point, um, the John the, Wayne Casey. Well, well yeah, that. But <laughs> President Trump we're talking to the 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 Navajo code talkers right in front of the the portrait of Andrew Jackson. Okay, that that's tacky. That could have been taken care of in a, in a different sit- setting where you didn't have that background. It's the same with this. Maybe not show the art there in New York. Maybe yeah. that's that's kind of the tacky. I part can of see this. that. Yeah. Well, here's the other interesting thing that this story brings up to me that I find fascinating. Apparently, they have arts and crafts time at Guantanamo Bay. I thought this was like they're in cement <laughs> rooms. I mean, that's how it's been presented by the people who want it shut down. But they're doing like finger painting and stuff. I mean, it's, it's well, the American therapy. prison system is is different than any other country that I've. I, not that I've been in prison in in many countries, but I know people who've been in prison in other countries. As do I. And you know, there's. I remember this one person. Uh, I probably. I got to be careful how I say this. When I was in Italy, this one person got arrested it's for a bad place to go to prison. Drug trafficking could have been worse. Oh, yeah. Could have been worse. Had this person been arrested in Turkey or some of the other, well, they could have been put to death. Yeah. Well, there's you know are put into prostitution. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could have happened. And you know, going to prison in Italy was a lot better than where the, it, she she could have gone. But then here in the states, I mean, it's a lot better than Italy too. So, oh yeah, I mean, in Italy, they they only are required to give you like bread and water. You have one, well, at least back back in the day when I was there, you had one meal. You had, I think, something like twelve ounces worth of belongings, and then you had to have your family put money into an account yeah. to pay for your other meals. 
or deliver it themselves. Right. Yeah. The Which kind of makes a little system. bit of sense. If you're going to jail, you know, yeah. it should be bad. Hey. <laughs> yeah. You should be paying for everything on your own and all that stuff. You know, we've got commissary in our prison system, but over there, it can be worse. Here, pretty good stuff in the United States of America. So finger my, painting, uh, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Finger painting. Well, Guantanamo Bay is its own special little place. And this is our special little show here. The morning briefing on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. My thanks to... Mark Walker of the American Legion, Jonathan Copanger of ConnectingVets.com, and of course, for myself and producer Jake Hughes, have a fantastic day, and we will see you bright and early tomorrow. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.